Well, thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Rick Ashley. I'm teaching pastor here. If you come here most weekends or at one of our satellite campuses, you'll either see me in person or on screen. Uh, and the teaching you're going to hear for Summer Spectacular is going to continue this weekend and next as we wrap up the story of Joseph. So if you like what you hear, I hope you can come back. Now, if you have been at past Summer Spectaculars, uh, and it's been two years since we had one, I'll tell you why. Two things have changed. Uh, one is we've remodeled our worship center, and you'll notice that in a second when you go in there. That's why we didn't have Summer Spectacular last year, because we were out of that room for about seven or eight months. The other thing that has changed, over which we have no control, is the expansion of H20 and what it has meant to us in terms of traffic. I tell you that in advance because when we all try to leave later tonight, there will be issues. Issues we can't help. We've hired extra policemen to do our best to navigate that. Be patient with us. I promise what's going to happen tonight and the next two nights are going to be worth a few extra seconds in your car. But I just wanted you to know ahead of time, uh, we hope that those issues will be resolved. And next year at Summer Spectacular, we'll not only have an awesome worship center, but we'll actually have an awesome expressway, and I didn't think I would ever say that about Highway 820. So, the next two nights, we're pretty well track with the play. But for this teaching, I'm going to go ahead and get past the moment where Joseph has been sent down to Egypt and talk about his life from that point forward. The story of Joseph takes up 13 chapters in the Bible, but 12 of them deal with Joseph in Egypt. Because the real test of character in his life is how does he live out his faith in a faithless place? In a place where he is an alien and his faith is not practiced by anyone else. Because often you've noticed that a person's convictions get changed by context. For example, how much is 2 plus 2? Context can decide. If you ask that question in an accountant's office, the answer is probably going to be 4. If you ask that question in a hospital, the answer is probably going to be somewhere between 3 and 5. And if you ask that question in a lawyer's office... We're going to close the door, pull down the blinds, and say, how much do you want it to be? Because context often affects convictions. For values don't seem to be valued as much as they used to be. And that's why I would contend that the greatest crisis facing our country today is not a shortage of energy or jobs or clean air, or bandwidth. The greatest crisis facing our country is a shortage of character. And what I hope you come to see and admire these next three nights is what biblical character looks like. Joseph was a biblical character who had a lot of biblical character. And real character is always tested by a crisis. So, 
Joseph has been betrayed by his brothers. They're angry at him first because they think he's daddy's favorite. They're angry at him secondly because he threw them under the bus and gave a bad report about their work ethic. But most of all, they're angry at him over these dreams. Because in their culture, God speaks through dreams. And dreams of him ruling over them were their nightmare. So they thought, we'll just snuff out the dream. They take Joseph, they sell him as a slave, and the Bible says, chapter 39, and in verse 1, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who'd taken him there. And now the test is set. Because we know Joseph has character in Canaan. But is he going to be a person of character in Egypt? Because Egypt is a petri dish for developing a culture of character loss. We know God's going to be faithful to Joseph in Egypt. But is Joseph going to stay faithful to God? Because in Egypt, Joseph is going to face a new culture with new values and standards. In Egypt, he's going to face a new language. He's going to have a new status. And most of all, he's going to be exposed to a completely new religious orientation. Because his entire young life of 17 years, there's been one way to worship. The God of his great-granddaddy Abraham. He had heard story after story about this God. Yahweh, they called him. And they only worshipped him. Now he's in a culture where many gods are worshipped. And that's normal. And nobody worships just one god. Especially just a god that doesn't have an idol you can bow to. He's entered into a completely different religious culture. But a person of character doesn't allow changing environments to change their commitments. In fact, change should manifest those values that never change. Because the point is, circumstances do not make you who you are. They reveal who you are. Let me illustrate that by uh, a metaphor from the shipping industry. If you were in the Navy or if you ever worked in the shipyard, you know that when a ship is finished, they take it out to the ocean for what they call sea trials. They want to know if the vessel is sea worthy. They don't keep it in dry dock and spray it with a water hose. But they take it out there and let it face the wind and let it face the wave. And if that vessel takes on water... It is deemed to not be seaworthy because of a lack of structural integrity. Now, the ocean didn't cause the breach in integrity. The ocean revealed it. The test revealed the breach. Now, God uses crisis in your life for the same reason. 
The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29, 17, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. Some fail the character test and some pass. And the key word is integrity. This is what God is testing for. Now, the dictionary defines integrity as the quality or the state of being complete. Uh, Do you remember in your junior high math class, you learned what an integer was? It comes from the exact same root. An integer is a whole number. A person of integrity is a whole person. In other words, a person of integrity does not live a fractioned life. Where they are this kind of person in this context, but over in this context, they are a different kind of person. They don't divide life into sacred and secular. You get the same person no matter the context. This is what it means to have integrity. It's interesting that when Jesus' critics wanted to trap him, they knew the way to do it is to put him in a situation where he won't try to weasel out and be someone different. So they come to him with this question and they start it like this. Teacher, we know you are a person of Integrity. You do not speak to please men, but you speak the truth of God. And on that basis, they tried to give him a question that no matter how he answered, he would be in trouble. Now, it just strikes me that they try to trap Jesus on the consistency of his life. And if somebody... Wanted to test you. Could they use your reputation for integrity as a part of their plan? Because changing circumstances don't change people of integrity. This is what the wise man means in Proverbs 10.9. People with integrity walk Safely, What he means is they're not always looking over their shoulder afraid they're about to be discovered. They don't walk a worried life worried that you're going to find out over here who they really act like over here. They walk in security because they don't constantly change who they are. The Joseph of Canaan is going to be the same man in Egypt. Whether he's in the public eye or behind closed doors. Notice first the workplace. So starting in verse 2 of chapter 39. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. 
And Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. You see, slavery didn't cause Joseph to give in to the seduction of mediocrity. Joseph didn't say, well, they can make me work, but I'm going to give them the minimum. I'm going to do the least I can possibly do. Because a person of integrity is not the kind of person that you constantly have to stand over their shoulder making sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. People with integrity are people of industry. They work hard. They work well. And they work to bless others. And that's because ultimately Joseph wasn't serving Potiphar. He was serving God. That is the foundation of any biblical theology of work. Colossians 3 says, you work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So Joseph, because he's a person of integrity, is going to work with just as much diligence for Potiphar as he did for his daddy. Could you imagine Paul who used to supplement his mission work by making tents? Could you imagine him selling somebody a leaky tent? Or think about Jesus. We hardly ever think of Jesus in the marketplace, but the reality is, Jesus was a businessman for many more years than he was a preacher. All through his 20s, he was a carpenter. Can you imagine anybody in Nazareth saying about Jesus? You know, he's a nice guy. Good prices. But he cuts corners. And he never finishes anything on time. See, I believe if people of faith, people who believe in the Lord God and His Son Jesus, if we lived with this kind of integrity, businesses and corporations would call churches and say we're hiring do you have anyone who needs a job we like to hire your kind of people in the workplace if you follow God your work ethic should never get questioned and your values should never get compromised and when you do that God's blessing is going to flow through you to the other people you work with and for. But character doesn't punch out when the time card does. Years ago, I read a story Charles Swindle wrote when he preached in California. It seemed that there was this uh, small drive-through chicken restaurant that a man and woman came 
and made an order at. They got their order. They went to a park to enjoy their meal. They opened the bag, and instead of two chicken dinners, there was $800 in cash. The young person there at the window had mistakenly put the day's monies in the bag instead of the chicken. So they get back in the car. They go back to the restaurant. The man says, you made a mistake. I've got this money here instead of my chicken order. And, of course, the young man thought, my job has just been saved. He was so overjoyed. Oh, you are the most honest man I've ever met. I'm going to call the local paper. I want to get your picture in it. Everyone needs to know there's an honest man in Southern California. Oh, no, I don't want you to do that. Oh, I insist. No, no pictures. Why? Because the woman I'm with is not my wife. That's a fractured life. A fractioned life. Because if you have integrity, the context doesn't change your character. Joseph was the same man in the workplace as he was in the bedroom. Let me explain. Chapter 39 again, starting to verse 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Which explains, by the way, why Miss Patty wanted me to try out for the lead role in the musical, but I was just too stinking busy to do it. Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owned, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. You think that was an accident? I think someone set that up. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. If we were to keep reading, we would find one of the earliest examples of anti-Semitism. She immediately played the role of the woman scorned. And she began to scream and say, this Hebrew slave. She keeps bringing up his ethnicity. The Hebrew. He came in here to molest me and only left after I screamed. And her husband found out, it says later, that when the master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And so we hear that Joseph is well built. He's a handsome young man. Only three people in the Old Testament are called handsome. Joseph, David, and Absalom. And I think one reason that's included is because the Bible wants you to know that Joseph is a normal dude. He's got the same desires, the same attractions that any young 
20-something man would have. And Mrs. Potiphar, well, she's called his wife several times, so I look up that word in the Hebrew, and it actually means cougar. Well, she... She is a perfect example of this truth, that the Bible teaches gender equality. Women are just as depraved as men are. Women are just as guilty of, infected with sin as men are, and in need of salvation. Now, Joseph had some reasons to say yes. Think about it. Nobody would know. Not only that, but Mrs. Potiphar could make life easier for him. He remembers what it was like to be the favored one. And she can give him that life back. And on top of all of that, wouldn't you be a little bitter at God? Wouldn't there be a temptation to think, I know what the moral code was back in Canaan. But if God cared about me, I wouldn't be here in the first place. Because you're never at a loss for ways to rationalize character loss. If you want to compromise your values, you can always find a reason to do so. But Joseph had some reasons to just say no. He didn't want to violate the trust placed in him by his boss. He said, I can't do that to my master. You see, Joseph understood something our culture denies. All culture says sex is just between two people, and if if as long as they're okay with it, it doesn't hurt anybody. And Joseph knew better. Anytime you have sex with someone God doesn't want you to have sex with, you just defrauded somebody else. He said, I can't do that to my master. But most of all, I can't do that to my God. I'm not going to dishonor my God. Because it doesn't matter if two adults are consenting. If God doesn't consent. That's the biblical standard. You don't take a poll to decide what morality is. You don't say, well, as long as everyone's in agreement and no one's getting hurt, that's not how you decide. You look to heaven, you look to God, and if God's not consenting, it doesn't matter if everybody else is. The irony here is that it's Mrs. Potiphar who is enslaved to her lust, and Joseph who's free. And so Joseph runs like a man. Have you noticed he keeps losing coats? (laughs) But he will not lose his character. And so, God blessed him and he got to go home, right? No, he got to go to prison. The Bible is honest. A life of integrity doesn't guarantee there will never be misery. There's this really interesting, perplexing book in the Bible called the book of Job. 
And in this book, basically, God and Satan have a cosmic debate over whether people honor God because he gives them better goodies or because he's good. Satan says, you let me touch Job, I'll prove. I'll prove he's not a man of character. Game on. Job loses his health, his family, his wealth. And they meet up after. And here's what God says. Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he's maintained his integrity. Even though you urged me to harm him without cause. God says, changing context didn't change the man. Didn't change Joseph. He lost his job. He lost his reputation. He lost his freedom because he wouldn't lose his integrity. You see, you, you make choices every day about what you will keep and what you will lose. And you decide what you're not willing to lose on the basis of how you define the win. Now, let me explain that with this picture. You'll see on one side is... The most famous athlete in the world. His name is Tiger Woods. I'm a golfer and I've never seen anyone in my lifetime that can play golf like he can. Absolutely amazing. But you'll know that several years ago, his lack of character was exposed in a pretty public way. Well, this year, Nike, his primary sponsor and endorser came up with a rather brazen ad. You see a picture of Tiger Woods, and the caption says, Winning takes care of everything. And the subtle message is, we're a culture that doesn't care about ethics. We care about winning. Just win. And the endorsements will come back. Just win. And the applause will come back. Just win. And the status and the fame and the popularity, it'll come back. The beautiful women, they'll come back. Forget ethic. Just win. Now, you don't know the other guy. His name is Jeremy Affelt. He's a relief pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. But recently... He got his paycheck, and there was a clerical error. He was paid one half million dollars more than he was supposed to get paid. And three different legal experts said, you can keep the money. The giant organization can do nothing about it. But Jeremy Affelt is a Christian. And he knows there's a difference between being legal and being moral. And so he gave the money back. And when he asked why, he said, because it's not mine because if I kept it, I couldn't go to sleep at night. 
Now, who do you think our culture calls the winner? Well, here's the thing. You make choices about what you are willing to lose based on how you define the win. Joseph was willing to lose his freedom, his reputation, his well-being before he would lose his integrity. Because for Joseph, the ultimate win is to live your life in such a way that you never lose your relationship to God. And so it says in chapter 39, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with Joseph. And gave him success in whatever he did. Have you noticed? No matter where Joseph goes, people put him in charge. You know why? Because the person that fully trusts God can be fully trusted. You see, a character crisis is ultimately a faith crisis. If your convictions are flimsy and they keep changing, it's because your object of worship is flimsy. Joseph didn't put his hope in his job or in his sex life. Psalm 25, 21, my integrity and uprightness protect me. Because my hope is in you. And so Joseph's values didn't change. Because his God was the God of Canaan and the God of Egypt. He was the God of the workroom and he was the God of the bedroom. Because God isn't really your God anywhere if he's not your God everywhere. But when you put your faith in God. You will start living the kind of life that causes other people to put their faith in you. And so, when I was in 7th and 8th grade at the little church I was raised in, my dad was the Bible school teacher. So every Sunday for two years, my dad taught the lesson. I'll be honest, I don't remember a single lesson. And I'm not even criticizing my dad. I don't even remember most of the sermons I've preached. I'm sure they were good lessons. I'm sure they helped and shaped and formed me when I was at that age. I'm sure they did. I just don't remember, except one story. My dad worked over 30 years for a major corporation that required him a couple of times a month to take business trips. And so one day in his lesson, he just tells his story about how when he goes on these business trips with other men, and the day's work is over, the men go out to clubs. Typically clubs where women take their clothes off. And he says, they always give me their wallets. Because they know I'm not going. And they always say to me, Jim, no matter how drunk we get, don't let us have our wallets back. Because they know I'm not going. They know I'm not going to get drunk. They know I'm not going to take any money. And he just went on with the rest of his lesson. And I'm telling you, I had never heard that story. I didn't know that about my dad. And my heart almost exploded. Wow, my dad's that guy. You know that guy. 
That guy you count on when you need someone you've got to count on. That guy. That guy you can turn your back on and not worry. Because he's that guy. The guy that never changes. The guy you can always trust. My dad. It's that guy. And I understand now why I felt the way I did. Because Proverbs 20 verse 7 says a righteous man who walks in his integrity. How blessed are his sons after him. And I've learned that there is no crisis that can take your character. The real crisis is if you give it away. That's what Joseph is going to teach us. And I hope you can be here the next two nights as we learn more.